This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. This is Encounter with God here on The Breakfast Show. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and Lawson. We are about to head into our Bible study of the day. And before we do, I'm going to give a couple of extra clues for the quiz for those who may have been wondering. Uh, so let's run through them very quickly. This person was born of royal lineage. lineage. Their destiny or and identity was exposed at the time of their birth by the Magi to the king. That despotic king hunted this person at the time of their birth and thought that they had killed them. This person was raised in exile in a foreign land. This person was raised by peasants and discovered his true identity as a lad. The Bible called this person the shepherd and the Messiah and the deliverer. Who is this person? Christopher Antle has called in or texted in with the correct answer. This person is Cyrus the Persian. Cyrus the Persian. Cyrus the Persian. (laughs) Just when you all thought, and of course Lawson knew what the answer was, um, this person is Cyrus the Persian. That's wild. It is absolutely wild. Okay, are you going to prove those claims? Absolutely. We're going to go through the history of uh, exactly what took place in relationship to uh, Cyrus's um, coming into power and becoming the next great world leader after Nabonidus. And so we are in Daniel chapter 5. We've kind of just covered the first verse where the Bible introduces us to Belshazzar. But today we need to move on, and Cyrus the Persian is going to become central to today's Bible study. Okay, so uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 5. And Lawson, I wonder whether you can read for us the first four verses, please, and we'll look at the political background behind what is taking place here and why it is that Belshazzar, who is Nabonidus' son, who is ruling in Babylon, makes some of the decisions that he makes. Mm. All right, let's read in Daniel chapter 5, in starting in verse 1. The Bible says, Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the king, uh, sorry, taken from the temple of the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them while they drank from them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You go, Lawson's getting too excited. He wants to skip ahead. Not allowed to skip ahead yet because okay. we need to talk about the things that we have here. Mm-hmm. Why is Belshazzar doing this? Is this just a random thing that Belshazzar is just having a drunken orgy and he's like, ah, let's use those particular uh, cups and bowls and plates and vessels. Let's use the ones from the temple in Jerusalem. Mm. It's This is not random. No. This is a carefully calculated move on Belshazzar's part. Mm. And the reason for that is because of what Cyrus the Persian is doing. Mm. You see, when this event takes place, Cyrus the Persian is camped 
outside the walls of Babylon. Yes. He has laid siege to the most powerful city on the planet. So here you've got walls that are about 100 kilometers in circumference. No army on earth can lay siege to walls that far around. Mm. That's the first thing that we need to note. The second thing we need to note is that there is a double row of walls. And the double row of walls are so wide that you can have chariot races on top of them. Mm. Now, any kind of walls where you can even get a chariot up there and get horses up to the top of the wall, that's pretty impressive to begin with. And the purpose for a double row, of course, is that the standard procedure in those days to um, assault a fortified city was to use a battering ram. Yeah. And so you'd build a battering ram, you would fortify the battering ram so that it could withstand assault from the walls. You would take it up to the walls and you would just start bashing, 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 day in, day out. The battering ram would just keep running. You'd just keep swapping over your soldiers that were inside who were manning it. And they would just keep smashing away until a portion of the wall would collapse. And then you would assault the breach in the wall. Mm-hmm. If you did this at Babylon and you created a breach in the wall and then you could go pouring into the city, all that would happen is that you would find yourself trapped between in a kill zone between two walls. Mm. It was it was an impregnable city. They had the river Euphrates running through it. You know, it had the biggest water supply just about there was in the entire world. Nebuchadnezzar was not the kind of person to muck around in any way, shape or form. And his city spanned the river mm. from one side to the other. He had a big bridge that went across. It was a modern bridge. It had, you know, streamlined piers lined with asphalt so that they wouldn't erode away. He had a tunnel, a cross-city tunnel underneath the river Euphrates. This is one of the world's big rivers. And so Cyrus the Persian has laid siege to the city, but even with the biggest and most advanced army in the world, he has no hope of taking the city. Mm. But we're going to talk about Cyrus the Persian. Yes. We're going to give some history. Where did this guy come from? Why is he assaulting this city? Why is he laying siege to the city, I should I should say? Why would he even think that he could attempt such a thing? Cyrus the Persian came from the Persian court, a royal prince. And as a royal prince of the Persian court, he was really just a prince of a tribe. Mm. We, today we would call it a tribe. It was a small region. Persia was kind of nothing. Mm. There were a number of superpowers that were dominating the world. One of them was the Median Empire. One of them was the Babylonian Empire. Another was the Lydian Empire. And, of course, Egypt. These were your big world powers, major world powers. The Persian province was a part of the Median Empire, which was a rival to the Babylonian Empire. Mm. Now, Cyrus was the son of Darius and, uh, sorry, of uh, uh, Cambyses the Persian and Mandana, his mother, the Mede. She was the son of Astyages, who was the ruling Median ruler. It was his father, Cyaxares, who had um, formed a coalition with the Babylonians to destroy the Assyrians and formed a political alliance with Nebuchadnezzar by marrying his daughter, Amatus, to Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. 
just to keep the follow the family tree right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the nasty age is the Mede. He is uniting all of the provinces within his empire, so he takes his daughter Mandana and marries her off to Cambyses the Persian, and they have a son by the name of Cyrus. When Cyrus comes along, the Magi come to Astyages the Mede, and they prophesy that one day Cyrus will take the kingdom. Mm. Astyages the Mede decides that, and this is where it really does get a whole lot like the plot from you know, Game of Thrones or something like this. In fact, my presentation on this is called Game of Thrones because it's very Game of Thrones-esque. It's like a very, very dark plot yes. that takes place. Astyages the Mede decides there's no good that this uh, Persian kid will one day take his throne or be a threat to his throne in any way, shape or form. And you've got to remember what we've been saying all along, that these world emperors only lived because of the level of paranoia that they were able to maintain. Mm. So any perceived threat, if the Magi are saying that this guy will one day be a threat, then you need to eliminate the threat. It's as simple as that. And so he sends his general, um, a man by the name of Harpagus, to destroy or to kill Cyrus, this young baby who's just been born. Mm. It's pretty cold. Yeah. Harbagus, who is a battle-hardened veteran of many military campaigns, still doesn't like the idea of taking the life of a child. Mm. As he's leaving the city with the child, he bumps into somebody he knows, a man by Mitridates, who is a shepherd, a peasant. But they know each other. And so he gives the child to Mitridates, gives him the order... Take this child, kill this child, and bring me the body as proof that you have done the deed. Because mm. he just doesn't, you know, who really wants to take the, the life of a baby? So Mitridates the shepherd takes the child home, and of course his orders were to strangle, strangle the child and to kill it. But when he gets home, he found that his wife, in his absence, had given birth to a stillborn child. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And the stillborn child that she has given birth to is a boy. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's let's rewind. In his absence, he didn't know that she was about to give birth? Oh, no, he would have known that she was pregnant and about to give birth. Yeah, for sure. But he was just like out. Well, he's just been given this order by the general mm. and you don't disobey the general's orders. Yeah. You know, go take the child, kill the child and return the uh, body to me. Dang, okay. He gets home. His wife has given birth. It's a stillborn child. He takes the stillborn child, gives it to uh, Harpagus, the general, mm. uh, and says, yes, I've uh, done the deed. Mm. Here is the evidence that I've done the deed. And, of course, you know, newborn babies, they all look the same. Yeah. Don't they? You agree with me? Like, I have absolutely no experience in, in, that, um, <laughs> in that field. I think all the guys out there are going like, yeah, of course, newborn babies all look the same, red and shriveled up and kind of ugly. Um, and all the mothers are out there like, what are you saying? They're all so individual and all so different and they're all so beautiful and adorable. But anyway, uh, these are guys we're dealing with. Mm. You know, guys that are vaguely aware that when they have children that there are some shorter people that live in their house. <laughs> You know, and so they're not going to be able to. Hi, I'm uh, Harpagus is the general's not going to be able to tell the difference yeah, between one newborn and another. Um, like, yeah, it just you know, it's a different baby, but probably just yeah. And so here's what happens: Cyrus the Persian prince is raised by peasants as a shepherd mm. in a foreign land. 
Very interesting. Mm. Problem with a story like this, it's kind of big. Yeah. You're raising the Prince of Persia in your home <laughs> and you're a nobody shepherd. Mm. It's one of those stories that's bound to leak out. Yes, of course. And eventually it does leak out. And there's a whole complicated story that Herodotus goes through, which may or may not be true. He's known as the uh, the father of history, but he's also known as the father of lies. <laughs> uh, but there's a whole complicated story as to how the um, the story actually leaks, leaks out. Mm. But the long and the short of it is it leaks out. The plot is found and discovered. And so Astyages, who had called for the death of Cyrus, finds that his general Harpagus has let him down mm. badly. How do you think that he now feels towards Harpagus? Um, probably the same way like Nebuchadnezzar felt to all of his nobles. Yeah. These so- guys, these guys, you have to remember they were they had been modelled the Assyrian method of ruling the world. Mm. And so he sees this taking place. He's like finds it all out. The political climate has changed, so that he is now long, no longer able to take the life of Cyrus. Mm. So Cyrus, at the age of twelve, he is discovered and goes back to live in the Persian court with his biological parents and is raised as the prince of Persia. Mm. Astyages, of course, is fuming in the background, but he tells Harpagus, "I forgive you. Come over to uh, my place for dinner." And we'll put this all behind us. So Harbagus and his wife, they head over there to uh, to the royal palace and they're going to enjoy dinner together. And uh, if you are a squeamish, now is the time to turn your radio off. It was at this moment Harbagus knew he messed up. No, it was just a little while later. Oh, okay. Because what had happened in the background is that Astyages the Mede had arrested Harbagus's son, who was about 12 years old, had executed him and served him cooked in the meal to Harpagus. I told you it was Game of Thrones-esque. Like, I forgot. Just how gnarly this was. Oh, it's so bad. And, of course, at the end of that meal... They revealed to, and I won't go into all of the gory details how it happened, but uh, probably at this point it tops Game of Thrones because they ask Harpagus whether he's enjoyed his meal. He's like, yeah, it's good food. And then they're like, well, did you? would you like to know what it was that you were eating? And um, it's revealed to Harpagus. And he doesn't say anything. Is this a true story? Is this part of the story true? Because okay. he's the father of father of yeah, this is history, Herodotus. Okay. This is coming from Herodotus. Now, part, parts of the story we know to be true because they are verified by the Bible. Yeah. Okay. So Cyrus being raised as a Persian, Cyrus the Persian being raised as a shepherd and so forth, is confirmed in the Bible. The Bible calls Cyrus mm. a shepherd. Yeah. Okay. And so here's the thing with Herodotus. Herodotus is writing, you know. Three four hundred years after the events, mm. and so they're going to be clouded by a period of history. Mm. At the same time, we know that this is not actually unbelievable for the time mm. period in which it is happening. Sure. It is absolutely believable, 
And even though the details were probably covered or coloured somewhat over that time period, the basic facts came from something. Mm. There, there was a basic story to this at some point. So Harpagus doesn't say anything. And then we come to um, some facts of history. Yes. Cyrus, as a young man, rebels against his grandfather, Harpagus. He has a small province, as the ages, his grandfather. He has a small province of Persia behind him. Mm. As the ages raises the Median army Mm. and puts it into the field of battle. It is about to completely dominate and overwhelm Cyrus's Persian forces. Mm. However, at the head of Astyage's army is his general, Harpagus. Mm. And right there on the battlefield, Harpagus leads the Median army straight across to the Persian side. Yeah, well. He defects to Cyrus. Now, that's a fact of history. Yeah. And if you look at the, at the law of cause and effect, Harpagus deserting his master and his king, Astyages, and defecting to Cyrus is the effect. Mm. There is a cause for that. There is a cause, and we have a reason. Absolutely. And so it adds a lot so of weight. It adds heavy. a lot to weight, of weight to the story. Mm. So this is pretty heavy stuff that is going on. This is how Cyrus comes to power. And in this whole process, what we find is that Cyrus is coming to power as a type. That's a theological word for like a symbol of Jesus Christ. Mm. And we're going to find that Cyrus the Persian comes to power and forms an empire that is vastly different from anything that has ever been modeled before. So if you look at the Median Empire, if you look at the Lydian Empire, if you look at the Egyptian Empire or the Babylonian Empire, which is the dominant empire at this period of history, you find that all of these empires, what has been modelled to them is the Assyrian form of government, mm. which is ruling with a professional army and sheer terror and publicising that terror everywhere they go. Mm. And stating simple facts of history. You know, Herodotus is your movie scriptwriter, whereas, you know, he loves to, you know, he tells the story and, and colours in all the details. It's in, yeah, vivid, yeah, yeah. it's in vivid colour when Herodotus turns up on the scene. Uh, but the Persians, you know, the Assyrians in particular don't do that. It's like, yes, we conquered the king. We cut off his arms. We cut off his legs. We, we cut out his eyes and butchered his, you know, skinned his sons in front of him. And, you know, and then, and then you know, so it's all these just the gory facts. And then, they, and then they'll write that up. And then in case you don't know how to read, they'll do a big billboard picture of it carved in stone for you. <laughs> yeah. Cyrus comes along and he adopts the complete opposite policy. Mm. This guy is not a warrior as much as he is a deal maker and it becomes mm. known as the Persian deal. Mm. It becomes a part of the Persian empire and how they rule the world and it's the Persian deal. Mm. And the Persian deal is actually a very, very good thing because the Persians come along and say, we are your liberators. We will give you freedom. They, they, they institute religious liberty in an era when religious liberty didn't really exist. 
And they introduce freedom. They're like, we are not going to rule you with terror. We're going to rule you with good laws, with a great constitution, and you're going to be able to prosper under our rule. We can offer you prosperity. Now, of course, if you don't want prosperity, we will go to war. Mm. And we will conquer you. And once you are conquered, we will forgive you and you will become prosperous. They were all about building a prosperous wow. empire. And this was all driven by Cyrus. Mm. So we find Cyrus. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives in pleads. For me, awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his Anthem Lights with uh, the Crown Medley here on Faith FM. Yes. The quiz has been answered. Yes. Do you want to do another one? Or... Start one? Do we have time? Um, Yeah, why not? Give us a clue. All right, let's do it. Okay, okay. Oh, what creature am I? Are you ready? Okay, let's Critic quiz. Let's do let's do two clues. What creature am I? The eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother will be destroyed by this creature. Bill. No idea. Keep going. Okay, next clue. According to the law, this creature was detestable. Well, there's a number of those things. Okay, one more clue. Jesus said to consider this creature, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. 
There you go. Wow. I would not have guessed that one <laughs> without that third clue. Oh, you're, you're, actually, you're actually incorrect. Really? Yes. Really? Yeah, you're incorrect. I don't know that. Ah. Uh... No, nah, you can't. No, nah, stop. I don't know that I am. Anyway, stop. Whatever. Well. Whatever. <laughs> All right, give us a call. 1-800-324-843 if you know what the answer to the quiz. What the heck kind of... A... There's some tough quizzes here this morning. <laughs> anyway, where Double were price. we? Where were we? Talking about Cyrus. We were talking about Cyrus. Okay, so Cyrus comes to power. Now, what's interesting is Cyrus comes to power, and, and you know, you've know you got the invention of the Persian deal here. Mm. Uh, the first big power that he has to go up against are the Lydians, not Libya, but Lydia. Lydia is uh, a large portion of modern-day Turkey. Mm. And the Lydians rebel against him, and so he has to take down the Lydians. He does so, and, of course, the king of the Lydians is Croesus. Mm. Probably you may have heard of the term, you know, as rich as Croesus. The guy was fabulously wealthy. He conquers Croesus and makes him one of his chief advisors. Mm. There you go. You, you don't find this with the Assyrians. You know, if this was the Assyrians, there would be a long and detailed description of how slowly and painfully this person died and how all of his children died in front of him and all of his family were, uh, you know, molested and then died. And then, you know, his entire city was flattened and burned and destroyed. Mm. And, you know, uh, the Persians come along and they do this to Lydia and suddenly the world goes, huh, what? Yeah. We have a choice between now uh, the Assyrian method or the Persian deal. Mm. And so as, as, um, as Cyrus is marching through the world, expanding his empire, he comes to city after city and he offers them a deal. Mm. And often when they come to a city and that city is a well-fortified city that's going to cost the lives of a lot of Persians... He offers the city a deal, and it's a good deal, and he has a reputation for keeping his word. They know he's going to keep his word, and the king inside the city will be like, no, we're not going to do that. And the people inside the city say, okay, so we can die here of starvation in the siege, we can die on the battlefield fighting the Persians, or we can accept the Persian deal, which is actually a better deal than what our current king is offering. This is a no-brainer. They will cut his head off and throw it out over the wall and invite the Persians to come in. Mm. And he takes city after city. He's taking the world by making deals. Mm. This is Cyrus. He's a very, very different kettle of fish to anyone who has ever come before. Yeah. Of course, the next big, uh, and, you know, there's going to be some big empires that are going to stand up against the Persians, you know, particularly uh, um, the Babylonians and the Egyptians. These are rivals, uh, world empire rivals of Cyrus. And the next big empire that he goes up against is Babylon, mm. which means that. He has to um, go up against Nabonidus. Nabonidus has to come back out of you know, his kind of self-imposed religious monastic existence that he's been having out in the desert where he has been you know, dedicated to worshipping the moon god Sin. We talked about this yesterday. And raise the Persian armies and they go up against the... Raise the Babylonian armies. They go up against the Persians and they're driven back and um, it ends up with this siege where... Belshazzar is holding the city of Babylon, which is, you know, it's an impregnable city. No one's ever going to get inside the city of Babylon. And Nabonidus is further south with the majority of the Babylonian army. 
and Cyrus is camped outside the city of Babylon where Cyrus has a moment of genius. Mm. And he recognises a number of things, one of them being that there is, um, first of all, he offers them the Persian deal. Yeah. Which is going to weaken the defenders. He also recognises that Nabonidus is not so popular because Nabonidus has not been president to hold the hands of Marduk, the god Marduk, for the last 10 years or so. Mm. And Nabonidus is an Assyrian. He's married to a Babylonian, a Chaldean, but he is an Assyrian, and so he's a bit of an outsider. And so Cyrus is thinking about all of these things while he's camped outside of the city of Babylon trying to figure out how he's going to get in. Mm. But then he recognizes also this big festival, this big religious festival is coming up where, you know, Belshazzar, who's on the inside, is going to have to go and take the hands of Marduk and there's going to be a, a time of great, you know, celebration that's going to take place at this particular time. And there's one other thing that he thinks of, and that was that as he was crossing the river Euphrates with his army on his way to conquer the city of Babylon or to attack the uh, Babylonian Empire, he lost his favourite horse. His favourite horse was drowned in the river and he's rather upset with the river. Mm. And he decides to attack the river Euphrates. Yes. As you do when you are the emperor of a very, very large empire. Man, this is some Caligula stuff right here. Oh, this is wild stuff. He's like, I'm going to attack the river. Mm. And what he does is he digs a massive trench. This is the river Euphrates. Yeah, yeah. And he diverts the entire river Euphrates. Think about the size of that trench. But he digs this trench, and of course, initially it's just going to head off into a nearby depression that he has identified as a great place to drain the river into. He digs this trench right up to the river Euphrates, but he doesn't cut through. Hmm. So the river Euphrates is just running through the city of Babylon like it's always run before. And he waits until this particular night when they're all going to be partying and they're all going to be drunk and they're all going to be having this worship service for their god Marduk. Mm. And on that night, he cuts through to the river Euphrates. Hopefully nobody drowned in that process, but you can imagine, you know, once that water started to flow, it would have cut through very, very, very rapidly. Yeah. He cuts through to the river Euphrates and drains the river. Mm. And what you have now is a dry riverbed right through the middle of Babylon. And so Babylon's most, it, its biggest strategic defense has now become its biggest strategic wow. weakness. There is effectively a road running straight through the middle of the city. Mm. But... That's not really going to solve the problem because either side of that river, there are walls. You know, Nebuchadnezzar recognized somebody might try and mount a naval assault on the city. It's mm. a long way from the coast, but you could run ships up between those walls and mount a naval assault on the city. By the way, if you go to Babylon today, River Euphrates doesn't flow anywhere near it anymore. Mm. It's been diverted. Um, used to go right through the middle. Now it's nowhere near it. Um, but... So Nebuchadnezzar had lined the riverbanks with walls. 
Belshazzar had recognised that there was no threat to the city, you couldn't get inside the city, they're having a big party this particular night, everybody needs to have free access to both sides of the city for the purpose of celebration. And so he leaves the gates open on the inside walls. Cyrus takes it in one night without a battle. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about how that happens in just a moment. No, we're not. We're going to come back tomorrow and talk about it. This is Enfield with Who Is He in Yonder Storm. Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At His feet we humbly fall. Crown Him, crown.
What comes to mind when you think of studying nursing? Practical experience? A rewarding career? Great employment prospects? When you think of nursing, think of Avondale College of Higher Education. 92.7% of our nursing graduates were employed within four months of completing their degree, with credible experience and with friends for life. To apply now, visit avondale.edu.au. It's higher education, designed for life.
Alison Brooke with Eric and Monique. You're listening to The Breakfast Show and we have come to question of the day time. Before we do, we have another clue for our quiz. Oh, yeah, we, we do. The This what creature am I quiz that uh, Lost doesn't know about. Okay, I do. I'm not wrong. You're wrong. No, um, no. God commanded this bird to feed Elijah the Tishbite. That is correct. You know, okay, it might say this in the Bible, yeah. but in Australia we say that. <laughs> okay, you're correct. Yeah, of course I'm correct. Okay, so no double prize. 1-800-324-843. If you know what it is, give us a call. You'll win a prize. But, La, question yes, of the day. Yes, Are yes, you yes, ready? Yes. Okay, here's a question from Darren. This is crazy. Oh, Darren brings in the best questions ever. All right. A distinguished theology and semantic... Um, Systematic. No, Semitic. Oh, so, okay, yep, yep. Semitic language scholar Dr. Michael Brown said in his recent podcast, in God's future millennial kingdom, a seventh-day ob- Sabbath will be observed, but there is nothing in the New Testament that calls or mandates Gentile believers to observe a specific day as Sabbath. The New Testament reiterates that nine of the ten Old Testament commandments apply to all believers, but Christians have liberty to choose any or every day as a Sabbath day. What's your thoughts, Lyle? My first thought is, why do we ever talk about the Ten Commandments? If what he's saying is true, why do we talk about the Ten Commandments? Mm. Because there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments if what he says is true. There's nine commandments. There's nine commandments. You know, why doesn't the New Testament talk about the nine commandments? Mm. You know, imagine the controversy that that would create. You know, there was so much controversy just created over the issue of circumcision. Imagine if they tried to get rid of the Sabbath, the controversy. You would never hear the end of it. Mm. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. The Nine Commandments. Who's ever heard of the Nine Commandments? You've got a, you've got a PhD guy here who's saying that um, we have the Nine Commandments. Mm. And, of course, in this whole process, he is forgetting that the Bible does specifically tell Gentile mm. believers to worship on the Sabbath all the way through the Bible. Mm. Now, he is correct in one thing. He is correct in what he says about the Sabbath being kept for eternity in heaven. And, of course, Gentiles will be keeping it in heaven, and that comes from Isaiah chapter 66. And so... Um, Let's go to uh, chapter 66, verse uh, 22 and 23. It says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed in your name remain. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. All flesh includes Gentiles. The vast majority of people who will be in heaven will be Gentiles. And so... Yes, he is correct when he says that uh, these Gentiles will be um, keeping the Sabbath in heaven. He is incorrect when he says there's nothing in the New Testament that says that Gentiles should keep the Sabbath. Mm. Uh, let's go over to Matthew chapter 24 and let's read what the Bible says over there. And before, while we're turning there, we can note that Jesus said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for mankind or humanity. Mm. Humanity is not Jews. He doesn't say it was made for Jews. He says it was made for all humanity. That's what Jesus claims. That's the, he wouldn't make that claim if he was about to do away with the Sabbath. 
Okay, so let's read it here from Matthew chapter 24 and verse 20. And by the way, let's give some background to this passage. This passage, Matthew 24, we all know is about the end of times. Mm. It's about our day. It's about signs of the times. And one of the things that it raises in chapter 24 is that there will be persecution at the end of time against believers and against Christians. And against Gentile Christians, Mm. like you and I, because we're both Gentile Christians. And notice the command that Jesus gives. A very, very specific command here to Christians at the end of time. It says, but pray that your flight, as in fleeing from persecution, pray that your flight, your fleeing from persecution is not in the winter, well, I wonder why that is. That's kind of obvious, isn't it? Be miserable. <laughs> Neither on the Sabbath day. Mm. That is the direct command of Jesus. Okay, so let's think about this for a moment. How are you going to do that if you say that? How are you going to pray that your flight is not on the Sabbath day mm. if you don't even believe in keeping the Sabbath day? It's like, well, I can flee on any day I want because I can choose my own day of worship. That makes no sense whatsoever at all. The Bible is absolutely crystal clear on the issue of the Sabbath. There is nowhere that the Bible says that we can choose any day we like. Um, We'll have more on this question tomorrow.
You are listening to Lady Love Smith and Reggie Smith and Nathan Young, Nathan Young with Remember the Sabbath uh, here on the, the Breakfast Show. We've come to the end of the show. And by the way, Leon called in with uh, James chapter 2, verse 10, which says, If you, whoever keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point, is guilty of all. Mm. You can't have the nine commandments. It makes no sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> what is this guy on? So good. Anyway. Oh. All right, so what are we giving away for our end of show giveaway today? Okay, we're giving away a book that is relevant not only to the question of the day, but also the book of the Bible that we're reading, uh-huh. uh, that we're studying through the book of Daniel. Um, and it's called Rome's Challenge. Why do Protestants keep Sunday? Yes. And- I find it fascinating. You get all these Protestant preachers who are like, you can keep any day you want. We just keep Sunday. <laughs> you know, no one's ever going to keep Tuesday. You're never going to have a Tuesday church. It just does not exist. Mm. It's only the day that's ever kept that was impossible to be a Sabbath day. Mm. Sunday is the only day that's impossible to be a Sabbath day uh, because, you know, you can't create the world in one day and then have a day of rest on the same day. Mm. You know, God could have created the world in two days and we could have created the world in one day and rested the next day. Mm. That could have happened. Second day Sabbath. You could have had a second day Sabbath if God had, you know, (laughs) yes, it would. Um, But God gave us a seventh day Sabbath. Yes, he did. But Sunday is the only, it's impossible. You can't have a day of rest and a day of creating on the same day. That's Mm. impossible. The one that Satan chooses. That's wild. Well, oh, yeah. that's strong language. This book, Rome's anyway, Challenge. Rome's Challenge. Protestants keep Sunday. It's on that very topic. And if you want to know more about it, give us a call 1 800 324 843. Written by the Catholic Church. And you will. Um, you will get this book completely for free. Written by the church and invented Sunday worship. Anyway, don't forget to talk faith, live faith, and act faith. You will grow strong in Jesus Christ today. See the bride and the spirit Thirsty, invite him to come with your door open wide. Won't you listen in the dark for the midnight cry and see when your light is on that the bridegroom. Like the leopard
is the saint Lift like a trumpet shout When the bridegroom comes See the builders despising the stone See the pearl of great price in the dry desert bones By the Pharisees cursed Be exultant with the rose when the last are first See how his mercy shines as the bridegroom comes.